Before we get started in today's show, I want to tell you about Stamps.com, longtime sponsor of the BS Report. It's quick. It's convenient. More importantly, it's really, really easy to use. You do not have to go to the post office anymore. You can just stay home. Make your own office, your personal post office. You can avoid lines. You can avoid just standing there as somebody mails some package, some 79-year-old lady. Who needs that? Make your own mailing and shipping from your house. Stamps.com. Put in the top right of the site, BS. You'll get a deal and a scale and a whole bunch of other things. It's a great product. Uh, You can buy and print official U.S. postage using your computer and printer. Stamps.com will give you a digital scale. It will automatically calculate the exact postage for any letter, any package. They'll even help you choose the best class of mail. Wow. Why go to the post office? Just give it to the postman. Stamps.com. Check it out. The BS Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. The BS Report. The BS Report with Bill Simmons. Welcome to the BS Report. We're taping this on a Monday. I think it's going to run on Tuesday. Uh, on the line, Don Van Natta from ESPN, Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, ace investigative reporter. He has written extensively about Roger Goodell and about the, uh, the Ray Rice saga slash scandal over the last year. Um, last week, a judge ruled that um, Ray Rice could play again because the NFL improperly suspended him again without any new evidence. Um, they buried that story on Black Friday, right around lunchtime, with probably the best possible day to bury a story that you're not crazy about people knowing about. People still made a big deal out of it. Don Van Anna on the phone right now. Um, were you surprised by the verdict? No, Bill. I uh, was not surprised. Uh, as you know, back in September, uh, just two days after Roger Goodell told the country that what he heard from Ray Rice was ambiguous back on June 16th, about what happened between him and his then fiance Janae Palmer. Just two days after that, we did a story. We had four sources saying that there was nothing ambiguous about what Ray Rice told Roger Goodell, that he was unequivocal. Rice told Goodell, I hit her, and she was knocked out. And we reported that right away, and and that's exactly what the judge found uh, all these weeks later. So I was not surprised at all by the decision. Well, and then the other thing, which was even worse, the ambiguous thing, which is the the thing people seem to remember about that week from Goodell's standpoint. But then he sent a letter to the owners and everybody about um, why he, you know, why, what he was doing with the race thing. And he said there was a starkly, I think the words were starkly different account of the, or showed a starkly different sequence of events than what Rice told him in June. Starkly different is pretty strong. Right? It is strong. That's right, Bill. And also, the press conference that Goodell had uh, about 10 days later, it was on September 19th, he told the country, the press conference, that there were inconsistencies. He repeatedly said that in what he saw on that video uh, that TMZ released, that second video on September 8th, and what Ray Rice had told him during that June 16th meeting in, in Goodell's office. And so, yeah, he really doubled down publicly, repeatedly in September on this idea that what he saw on the video was far different, starkly different in, in his words from from uh, from what he had, you know, what he what he had been told. And uh, it, it, that's just not the case, as we now have found out. And you know, one of the most striking things about the decision, in my view, is it really just came down to contemporaneous notes and uh, the notes of Heather McPhee, the a lawyer for the NFLPA were quite detailed and quoted 
Ray Rice specifically saying, and I hit her. Yeah. Uh, and yet the notes by Roger Goodell and by Valpo Birch and, and, and a third NFL person were very vague, never used the word slap. I mean, the optics of this are not good for the league because it comes down to whether the league, the league basically said that uh, Ray Rice said, I slapped her. She fell, hit her head and knocked herself out. I believe those were Roger Goodell's words. And that's just not a good position to be in publicly on, a, on an issue like domestic violence. Well, I have my own theory about that, and we're going to get to that later. I'm sure you have a theory, too. I want to go backwards, though. You wrote about Goodell, I think, was it a year and a half ago, your big your big Outside the Lines piece, the feature about him? When was that? That was in March of 2013. Okay. Um, and you wrote that after Bounty Gate. And Bounty Gate um, was a disaster for Goodell. I mean, it wasn't something that I don't think anybody thought was going to cost him his job. But he handled that about as badly as you can handle something. And as it came out, like, and you pointed out in that piece pretty extensively, you know, just arbitrarily making up stuff for suspensions and decisions. And then it got to the point where Taglibu had to come in, the old commissioner, and had to kind of reset the punishments because Goodell did such a bad job. When you look at that now with, with within the framework of how this rice thing was handled, what do you what what do you think he did a worse job of handling Bounty Gate or the rice thing? Well, I think he bungled both badly. Uh but you're you're right, Bill. The 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 way Fidel handled Bounty Gate, uh, there were so many missteps. Uh the thing that I remember most vividly about Bounty Gate that that's that's just kind of stunning even today is that a video was misinterpreted, a videotape on the sideline during the 2010 NFC Championship game between the Saints and the Vikings. Anthony Hargrove was accused by the NFL, he was a lineman for the Saints, of saying, give me my money, Bobby, by the NFL. And he never said it. And quietly, weeks later, Roger Goodell withdrew that accusation that basically ended Hargrove's career. Right, never played uh, again, he, right? Never played again in, in this... In this uh, this memo that really didn't get a lot of attention. And, and as you point out, Tagliabu, you know, Goodell's predecessor in this 22 page decision really hammered uh, his successor and, and, and said, you know, he vacated the punishment of all the players and, and the ruling basically suggested pretty strongly that Goodell had uh, impatiently and incorrectly tried to change the culture of the game through these punishments. Because of course yeah. the whole bounty thing, the backdrop to that, of course, was, you know, the mammoth, you know, class action lawsuit filed by the players, uh, the former players uh, on, on the concussions issue. And so Tagliabue was suggesting very strongly in that decision that Goodell made those decisions, not with all the facts, not, not investigating it fully, you know, jumping to conclusions before he knew all the facts, like in the case of Hargrove, and, and, and basically to try to make a public relations point. Uh, at, at a time when player safety was really front and center. And I think you could see, if you look at the timeline of what happened here in the way Goodell handled the Ray Rice situation, similar missteps occurred. And I keep going back to, Bill, the fact that so much of this was done for public relations reasons. And that PMZ video came out on September 8th. You know, the NFL went into damage control mode, and every single thing that was said by Goodell, every move that was made throughout the fall were all done with an eye toward public relations and trying to clean up this mess. 
But that's been a recurring theme of his entire commissionership. I think that's a word um, where you make you make kind of the wrong decision, but you feel out the public reaction. And then the next decision is is really based on the public reaction. And I feel like, as you point out, with Bounty Gate, a lot of that had to do with the fact that they screwed up concussions in the first place. I mean, I had Chris Nowinski on my podcast on the BS Report, I think in 2008 or 2009. The concussion thing, Alan Schwartz was writing about it. Malcolm Gladwell was writing about it. Um, the, the Harvard people were studying the brains. Like We knew in 2007 that concussions were a real thing. And then if you go backwards, you look at a movie like Varsity Blues or Any Given Sunday in 1999, concussions were big subplots of those movies. And the league kind of belatedly, you know, accepted that in 2009 and all of a sudden player safety was a big thing. They were changing rules in the middle of the season in 2010 and bounty gate to me, I always took that as his belated attempt to pretend he cared about player safety. Is that yeah, well, a fair forget, way to look at it? Well, well, Bill, don't forget in October of 2009, Fidel appeared before Congress before that committee and Conyers, you know, repeatedly asked him, is there a link? between, you know, playing football and, and these debilitating injuries. And, and Goodell punted then, even then, as late as October 2009. Yep. And, you know, the video is linked to the profile I did of Goodell on the website. Anybody can take a look at it. And, and you're right. It was only a month or two later, very quietly, that Greg Aiello finally, in a statement, said, well, maybe there is, there is a link here, but, but said it in a somewhat cryptic way. And then, and then the tune changed in 2010. But that's absolutely right. Bounty Gate was an opportunity, I believe. Reporting shows this. Uh, an opportunity seized by Goodell uh, to make a point, to make an example of the Saints players and to show that the league uh, cared about player safety in a big way. And, and, uh, but, if, it, but if you really look under the hood of that investigation, as we did in that profile a year and a half ago, there were many, many missteps. And, and as I say, they were repeated. The same script was followed on the Ray Rice investigation. And the one indefensible thing, and incredibly hypocritical in my opinion, was suspending Sean Payton for the season. I still haven't heard an adequate explanation for why that happened, other than Goodell's take was basically he should have known. Well, this was happening under his thumb. He's he's accountable for all this stuff and suspended him. And it's unclear if Payton knew. And ironically, this is now flipped with the race thing. Goodell should have known about the video. Goodell should have seen the video. We know the video is mailed to the director of security. He should have known. So why isn't he accountable for this? Well, that's that's uh, you get to the heart of the issue right now with uh, the, the mistrust, the distrust uh, among the players uh, of Roger Goodell. I mean, what you just laid out gets to the heart of it. Uh, there is a sense among many players. I would actually think I would actually say most players that uh, Fidel uh, the rules that Fidel applies uh, and enforces do not apply to him. They apply to everybody else. Uh, although there's some argument that could be made whether they also apply uh, as harshly to owners and executives as they do to players. That's, that's, a, that's a separate that's a separate conversation. But but yeah, there's there's a real sense of that. Uh, and, you know, Drew Brees is quoted, Bill, in the story we did, um, you know, back in March of 2013, saying there was a total credibility gap then. 
Yeah. And, and, and look at what's happened since then in the, you know, 18 to 21 months since then. You know, it's gotten worse. It's gotten you know, significantly worse. And we haven't even talked about the hypocrisy of pretending to care about player safety while also really hard, hard pushing for the 18 game season. Um, right. That's never right. understood which, that part either. That's right. Which, which Demora Smith, you know, said in my story was diabolically brilliant uh, on the part of the commissioner, because the way, the way he put it was, you know, if you have a longer season, there's more likelihood the players are going to get injured and won't vest. So you'll save money that way. And then, of course, you know, a lengthier season puts a lot more money in the in the owner's pockets. Well, think about that for a second, because I remember that quote. He's on the record saying it. This is the guy who's in charge of the players union and he has no problem saying publicly that he believes one of the reasons Goodell won an 18 game season was because more players would be injured and it would keep salaries down was basically in shortened careers was basically his theory, right? That's right. Yeah, it wasn't his theory. That's what he. That's what he believed the motive was. He's on the record yeah. saying that was that was Goodell's motive. I mean, that's amazing. This is a guy who is is Goodell's foe for every player versus league debate, any sort of anything they have to bargain for, and that's how strongly he felt about Goodell's motives for the eighteen game season. That he said that because I don't think that's a very nice thing to say about somebody, right? No, that's right. And and their relationship has obviously deteriorated since then. Uh, you know. Yeah. The, the more the more Smith uh, and, and Goodell have have a uh, you know a relationship now that is that is basically broken. Uh, yes, and, and there's 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 just no trust uh, uh, on either side, and we're seeing it play out in uh, you know these discussions that are going on now between the league and the, the players' association over uh, this issue of uh, you know the, the uh, personal conduct policy, and and you know it's going to be revamped prior to the Super Bowl. Uh, Jeff Pash said that yesterday on Outside the Lines, but, you know, uh, how is it going to be revamped? And is the union going to have any say over it? And it appears that they're going to have uh, almost no seat at the table. And that's contrary to what Goodell promised at that press conference back in September. He said everything was going to be on the table and it was going to be a transparent process and retooling the personal conduct policy. And But that, that has not happened since then. And Demora Smith is, is livid about it. And I'm surprised Sean Payton hasn't said anything. Because he lost the whole season. That murdered the Saints season. You know, that was a pretty pretty talented Saints team. They would have probably made the playoffs with, with with their coach. Coach goes away for a whole year, loses his livelihood, and now the roles have been reversed here. But um, with, you know, there's two parts to this Goodell thing. One was he he went out on a limb and said Rice didn't tell him the truth on June 14th. And that has now been proven to be incorrect by, by an independent judge. So we can put that to rest. That part of the story, Goodell um, was wrong about saying that I'm not, <laughs> there's other words I could use. I'm not going to, but he, he, he presented a certain case that turned out to be not true. Um, but then there's another part is, did the league know about that second elevator video before September 8th? This is a big part of your piece that you wrote with Kevin Van Valkenburg. You reported that piece and, and posted it on September 19th, the, the same day of the press conference. I wanted to go through some of the facts that were in that piece. Um, the Ray Rice thing happens, uh, the incident with his wife in Atlantic City at the Ravel Casino, I think at 3 in the morning. Within that, by sometime that weekend, you reported that uh, Baltimore's director of security, Darren Sanders, reached an Atlantic City police officer by phone 
on the night of the incident, the officer watched a surveillance video shot from inside the elevator, um, also told Sanders he just happened to be a Ravens fan, described in detail to Sanders what he saw, and then Sanders quickly relayed the damning videos play-by-play to team executives in Baltimore. This was the night of the assault. You reported that. Um, the Ravens, after the fact, after this piece came out, claimed that there was half-truths and untruths, and, but really didn't deny anything. They didn't sue ESPN. So we feel 100% sure that that happened, right? 100%. Yep. Okay. So what they disputed about that fact, Bill, is they disputed the timing. They disputed that the that Sanders got that information immediately. I think they said it was a week or so later uh, that he got the information. If you really peel back carefully the the, the Ravens dispute of our story, uh, it, most of it is on the margins. There, there's a, a few timing things that they take exception to. There's some interpretation things they take exception to. But the general timeline of the story. If you really look carefully at their point by point, I think there were 15 bullet points in what was released when Steve Bishotti did that press conference uh, in late September. Uh, there's the, most of what we reported, they're really not disputed. You also said an employee of the Ravens was describing the inside elevator video to friends in graphic detail. I'm just quoting from the piece, telling confidence that Rice knocked out his then fiance with a punch and that the video was, quote, really bad. And a Ravens official told you, I was told it has to get better for Ray Rice or he's going to get cut. And then you said a little bit later in the piece, the Ravens consulted frequently with Rice's Philadelphia defense attorney, Michael J. Diamondstein, who in April, early April, had obtained a copy of the inside elevator video, the second TMZ video that came out on September 8th. He told Ravens president Dick Cass, it's horrible. And then you reported that Cass did not request a copy of the video, but instead started urging Rice's legal team to get Rice accepted in a pretrial innervation program. And then I quote from your piece, among the benefits, it would keep the inside elevator video from becoming public. Why wasn't this a bigger deal? Good question. Uh, It's very curious that the Ravens did not and they had the opportunity to, Dick Cass did not ask Michael Diamondstein, the lawyer for Ray Rice, for a copy of that video. Uh, and we also found out, by the way, Bill, that in Judge Jones's decision on Friday, that the NFL never requested. At least that's what she concluded in her, in her uh, decision. And, and, and so, you know, you get, you get into this area where it raises questions about whether there was just willful ignorance here on both the part of the Ravens and the NFL, because it's a heck of a coincidence that there's no curiosity on the part of anybody in the Ravens organization, nor in the NFL, to try to get a copy of that video that they know exists. Uh, right. And they, and they never do. So, so it raises the question, why was that? Why, why was there no curiosity on, on right, the so part of either the team or the league? So within two months of, of the Rice assault, here's who knew about the tape. Baltimore's director of security. I'm talking about the second elevator tape. Here's who knew about it. Baltimore's director of security, Baltimore's team president, at least one other Ravens executive, unnamed friends of that Ravens executive who was telling the tape about, Rice's defense attorney, 
and at least one Atlantic City police officer who knew about the tape that night. All these people knew about the tape within two months. Um, all right. So let's, let's say the NFL, for whatever reason, even though it doesn't jibe with everything else, every other situation they've handled over the last few years, let's say they didn't want to find the tape for whatever reason. Or they didn't know. They just didn't know. Their heads were in the sand. They're on vacation. They just didn't totally know about the tape. I don't know if I believe that, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt for a second. We know the tape got mailed to the director of security in early April. His name is Jeff Miller. And it came out on September 11th. Somebody went to the Associated Post. They played a 12-second voicemail from an NFL office a female who was in, in the director of security's office, we can guess, who said, you're right, it's terrible. So this person who was in Jeffrey Miller's office, the director of security, gets the tape. She obviously watches it and is so horrified by the tape, she then calls the number of the person who mailed the tape just to tell them how horrible it is. And yet somehow Miller never gets the tape. Do you believe this story? Well, I'm not sure whether I believe it or not. I, I mean, to be honest, Bill, I didn't report that. That's an Associated Press report. I've right. never been able to confirm independently through my own reporting that a video was received by the NFL. But you So know, we don't know I if that's argue, true. I, I, don't, I don't independently know through my own journalism whether or not a video was received uh, by the NFL, that second inside elevator video. I, I was never, never able to confirm that. Not for lack of trying. I spent a lot mm. of time trying to get to the bottom of it. But I would argue more broadly that it didn't really matter because think about this. Going into the June 16th hearing, what does the NFL know before they sit down with Ray and Janae Rice on June 16th before Goodell meets with them for that, for that meeting to decide the discipline? They have so a lot saying- of facts. So you're saying, what do they know if we assume that they stuck their heads in the sand and didn't try to find the second tape? Yeah, try trying not to find it and whether they got it are two separate questions. They certainly yeah. did not work very hard to get the videotape. There's no doubt about that. They 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 seem to do almost nothing to get to get the videotape. They they've said that they made some requests, but they actually re- made the request. I think two of the four requests they made were with agencies that didn't even have the video. And yeah. you know, the, the NFL is employed by you know, former FBI people, uh, former state police officials. I mean, they've got top-notch investigators at their disposal, and they've got connections in every city around the country. When they want to get something, they get it. But that's a separate question. But what I was going to say, Bill, which I think is an important point, is on June 16th, the information that Roger Goodell has when he meets with Ray and Janae Rice, there's a lot of information he has. He has a police report that says— yes, which came out recently Rice, that— yeah, the, the criminal right. report. The, the, the police report is crystal clear. Ray Rice struck Janae and caused her to become unconscious. Okay? Just a few days after that, TMZ got that first surveillance video outside yeah. the elevator where you see, and I, and I would argue that video is as bad, maybe worse, than the inside the elevator video because Rice is sort of cavalierly you know, dragging Janae's unconscious body out, stepping over, not looking at the least bit concerned. Right. So 
I mean, we mean to say that this is like a failure of imagination here, that you, you can't imagine what occurred in this video that you didn't get. I mean, I, I, I think in hindsight now, when you look at Judge Jones' decision, you look at the way this whole thing played out and the way the NFL handled this from the beginning and the way the Ravens handled it, that second inside elevator video, in a way, is a little bit of a red herring because yeah. the NFL didn't need to see it to, to, right. to really know what occurred. There were plenty of facts at their disposal. And the thing that I think, Bill, that's, that's really jarring from that Judge Jones decision, and I don't think it got that much attention over the weekend, is the type of notes that were taken by Roger Goodell and by Adolfo Birch, the vice president of the NFL, yeah. and a third person. They, they remember that when this came out and they disputed that Ray Rice hit her, when our story came out, the information that I had heard is that they, they it, Roger Goodell believed that Rice said he slapped her, not hit her. So all of this came down to the word slap versus hit when it comes to what the NFL believed Ray Rice said and why they said that second video was so different and why they gave him the indefinite punishment. Well, here's the problem for the NFL. Not a single person, Roger Goodell, Adolfo Birch, or this third NFL official, wrote the word slapped in their notes. In fact, Roger Goodell wrote the word struck. Yep. That, he, that Ray Rice struck her. And Adolfo Birch, I mean, if I were him, I'd be embarrassed. He wrote two words in his notes. He wrote bottle service, which is, which is something that Ray and Janae had on it in that Atlantic City casino very early on. I mean, he wrote a phrase from the very early part of what Ray Rice said and didn't write a single fact in his notes about what was said. And so when that video comes out on September 8th, the NFL officials huddle with Roger Goodell. And when they make that decision to do this indefinite suspension, they look at their notes and they try to recall what they said. And they all determine that what they saw was different from what they heard. But the notes that they refer to, not in a single one of those NFL notes, does it say slapped or does it say anything contrary to what was on the video? And I think it's that simple why Judge Jones decided the way she did. But, but for the NFL, for a $10 billion corporation to not have a stenographer at this particular meeting and to have to rely on these vague notes that even Goodell's notes are, are I mean, there's almost nothing in Goodell's notes. And, and to do something to a guy whose livelihood and reputation are on the line based on these vague recollections and notes that are incomplete uh, is, is, is pretty remarkable. Maybe they didn't want the stenographer there. Maybe they want a record. Well, you know, um, what's interesting about that, Bill, let me just quickly say, my, my the information that I've heard on on reporting those kinds of meetings, you know, they're really not disciplinary hearings. They're really just an opportunity for a player uh, and his representative. And, of course, in this case, which was very unique, uh, Dick Tass, president of the Ravens, and Ozzie Newsom, the general manager, were also there on behalf of, of Ray Rice. That, that rarely, if ever, happens, as we reported in that September 19th story. But these, these meetings are really not hearings. They're really just a chance for Goodell to almost – you know, look somebody in the eye who he's about to meet out some punishment on. And, and the feeling I get from, from looking at the way he's handled a lot of these things, I think that Goodell just goes by his gut. I think that if you express remorse, uh, he might go a little easier on you. If you don't, like as Adrian Peterson didn't express any remorse, he'll hammer you. I, I, there, it's, just, it's a very subjective process, and this is what the union is complaining about, is that there's really no expectation that there's going to be a level playing field and that punishment on a case-by-case basis, is going to is going to be based on the same standard. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Peterson because that's a crucial point of this. It's when he has those meetings, it almost seems like it's kind of a remorse check-in. How but, remorseful are you? Oh, you seem remorseful. I'm going to take it easy on you. Oh, you don't seem remorseful enough. Like, imagine if the prison system worked like this. And, and instead of just judging whatever crime somebody committed, we judge them by their body language, demeanor, and the words they said in court. It's ridiculous. Real well, life I, doesn't I work this way. The, the NFL reporters that covered that June 16th uh, meeting that Goodell had with Rice, and then when the two-game punishment was announced by Goodell at the end of July, and it you know, it was reacted to with that firestorm of protest. I mean, there were stories written by the, the Peter Kings of the world that yep. said that one of the reasons why it was only a two-game suspension is because Ray Rice expressed remorse. I mean, you know, back then there was no issue about the second video. Uh, none of those reporters knew about it, and, and, and it didn't emerge, of course, until September 8th. But But that was one of the reasons that was reported in real time of why Rice got what you know, a punishment that, uh, that the public reacted so angrily about was remorse. Well, we know on May 23rd, Chris Mortensen reported on the radio, quote, you see her attack him in the elevator. Ray Rice strikes her twice and her head hits the rail. Um, and then in July, Mortensen said, I'm told from those who have seen the video, it wasn't pretty. In fact, she attacks him. We don't know the reason why. And he strikes her, strikes her hard. And her head, according to the sources I've spoken to, struck the rail inside the elevator. She was unconscious. He said that on ESPN radio. Um, And then Peter King, he wrote on July 29th, there's one thing I did not write or refer to, and that is the other videotape the NFL and some Ravens officials have seen from the security camera inside the elevator at the time of the physical altercation between Rice and his fiance. Now, King had to kind of correct that report because... um, after it came out, he said, after the TMZ video came out, he said, earlier this summer, a source I trusted told me he assumed the NFL had seen the damaging video that was released by TMZ, blah, blah, blah. The source said legal officials had to have seen it. This source has been impeccable, and I believe the information. Um, then here's the rest. So I wrote the league had seen the tape. I should have called the NFL for a comment, a lapse in reporting on my part. The league says it has not seen the tape. I cannot refute that with certainty. No one from the league has ever knocked down my report to me. Okay. So he, so here's here's Peter King, who is, I think is one of the most influential football writers. Chris Mortensen, another one of the most influential writers. These guys are out there saying that the NFL has seen that. Mortensen's saying he's seen the tape. He knows what's on it. Peter King is writing in his Monday morning quarterback article, which is widely read, that the NFL has seen the tape. Nobody from the NFL corrects that for six weeks. Why do you think? Why do you think they just let that sit there? I don't know. I don't know I, it's, it's a great. It's a great question. Uh, it it I, certainly I, seems I, fishy. I would say. Um, yeah, I want to go back to the AP thing for a second. Perfect. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but sports leagues work where if you mail anything to the commissioner or you mail anything to the director of security, it gets logged into a system, right? And the reason they do that, it's for safety reasons. It's they want to, they want to have a record of everything that comes in for a variety of different reasons. So if if I mailed my book of basketball right now to the director of security of the NFL, that would be logged into a system. So if the AP is saying that they mailed this tape, then to 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 Miller, it would be logged into a system. That's one part. 
The second part, why hasn't anyone been able to track down the female who allegedly accepted the tape? I mean, you're one of the best investigative reporters in the country. Is it that hard to track down a female? Like, what am I missing with that? We've tried, Bill. We tried. It's, it, it, and we have, we have, uh, it's not like we're, you know, going down looking. We're going down swinging on strike. No, I know. That's why I'm asking. Like, like how she was in the office. Like, what, what happened to her? Where is she? I don't know the answer. I've tried to, I've, I've tried to get to the bottom of it uh, for weeks. Uh, and, I, and I don't know the answer to it. I don't know whether uh, the Mueller investigation is even going to be looking at an issue like that. Uh, I don't have a lot of confidence that he will to be honest, but I, I don't know. But, uh, I, you know, it, it was an Associated Press story. Uh, it was a one-source story. Um, and if you remember, when that story came out by the Associated Press, uh, just in a matter of hours, that's when the NFL decided to uh, put Mueller on the case and open this, you know, so-called independent investigation that's being overseen by John Mara, the owner of Giants. and, <laughs> and our best friends. The owner yeah. of the Steelers. <laughs> It's so independent. It's like if I had an investigation of something I did and I had my buddy Joe House and my buddy Sal running it. Um, yeah, I mean, Mueller, Mueller basically is, when you think about this, he, he's working. It's an independent investigation in quotes. I mean, it's being overseen by John Mara and Art Rooney, who are two of the closest confidants among the owners of Roger Goodell. So. Right. Um, you know, it remains to be seen just how independent and how aggressive uh, Mr. Mueller is going to be. I, I don't mean to you know cast any aspersions on him. He's got a great reputation, the former FBI director. But just the way it's been set up, uh, it, 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 it certainly doesn't appear that it's going to be entirely in, uh, independent. Well, didn't he work for the same place that Dick Cass worked for for like 30 years? Yes. That's the other issue. That's a that's a problem for how does for that the, how does that make you independent if you work for the same place that uh, the president of the Ravens, who is one of the two teams you're investigating, uh, if you if you worked with that person, it seems a little. Well, remember fishy. that the previous investigation on Bounty was done, and that was also I, I believe called an independent investigation by uh, Roger Goodell's predecessor Paul Tagliabue, uh, yeah. and, and and his mentor. But 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 Tagliabue did not like what he saw and was actually very very tough on Goodell. Maybe maybe that'll occur here. I I have talked to one source who knows Mueller very very well, who said uh, he does not like uh, some of the stuff that's been out in the media. People questioning whether this is going to be a tough investigation. And this person tells me, you know, you're going to be surprised. It's going to be it's going to be a lot tougher than people uh, believe it will be. So we'll see. We'll find out in the coming weeks. That's exciting. You just got me excited for the for the Mueller report. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I mean, how long did you spend that May 2013 Goodell piece, which I would urge everyone to reread? By the way, this is turning into the Serial podcast. I feel like the narrator in Serial talking about Adnan's case. Um, how long did you spend uh, researching that Goodell profile? Uh, five to six months. Okay. Um, from you, you, you get a really good feel for somebody when you, when you're, when you get that embedded in a piece, that's like one of your favorite things to do. I'm sure you talk to a million people, kind of yeah. get a sense for how they think. Isn't it fair to say like when, at least when you wrote that piece, Goodell is the type of commissioner that if there was something 
that affected the league, some sordid story or whatever. He's one of those guys who turns over every rock trying to get as much information as possible. Isn't that something that he was known to do? Yes. Uh, and it's something that he has said publicly on more than one occasion that, that he prides himself in is finding out as much information about any subject, whether it's on discipline or any other matter, uh, before he makes, uh, makes a decision. Wants to have all the facts, and and he has uh, he has said it over and over again, and, and 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 he's also said, by the way, Bill, that he wants to get better at doing things. Uh, yeah. Anytime he has sort of been in one of these mishaps, like Bounty, did, I mean, he said, and, and I quote him in the story toward the end of the story, uh, and this is before the Super Bowl in 2013. He said, "quote I'm going to have to work harder to try to make sure we can work together. We can trust one another." But we also need to make sure that we understand that we're going to have differences, and that's okay. So he has, as he did in the press conference uh, this past September after the Rice debacle, after the Bounty Gate debacle, he was saying the same kinds of things. I got to get better. I have to improve. And, you know, the question, I think the broader question that fans ask and, and why Pidel is so unpopular with fans is this is a guy making $44 million a year. Yeah. And you're learning on the job. You're, you're constantly saying publicly that you got to get better, you got to do things better. And I, I think that, you know, I think, I, I think most fans, that, that, that gets to the essence of, of why Goodell is so unpopular with so many football fans. You wrote in your September 19th piece that going into that June 16th meeting, Rice was told by several Ravens executives that he better be completely honest and forthcoming with the commissioner because the organization believed Goodell had seen a copy of the Inside Elevator video. This is something Janae Rice also said in one of her two interviews that Rice was honest the whole time because their side believed the NFL had seen all the evidence. Um, we just covered earlier that Goodell is a bulldog that, or at least before this case, was a bulldog who tried to find every piece of evidence and watch everything. We also covered earlier, this really is sounding like the serial podcast. I, w- I wish I could play sound bites for people. Um, we covered earlier that all the people on the Ravens side, a lot of them knew about the tape. Um, I cannot get my head around the part where Goodell, given his history as the commissioner, chose this specific time not to be interested at all in seeing both videotapes. What, what is your theory for that? My theory is that it's probably it, it, it's either incompetence or it's willful ignorance. Uh, more likely than not, if I had to bet on it, I would bet on the latter. I would I would bet on the fact that he, he didn't want to see it or felt he didn't need to see it. And, you know, if you look carefully in between the lines, Bill, of the Judge Jones decision, uh, there wasn't a lot of discussion on June 16th about exactly what happened. Rice yeah. said what he said. I believe Janae said there was no follow-up questions about it. And so Rice gave his account. He said, I hit her. She was knocked out, and they moved on. It wasn't as if there was some sort of interrogation here, which, again, raises the question, was Goodell looking, not looking necessarily for the truth, but looking for a way to give a light punishment to Rice? And then, mm. of course, you ask the question, well, why would that be? Was he doing a solid here for Steve Bashotti, the owner of the race, and a, and a buddy of Goodell? Uh, and Great if you read my story. No, I was going to say, if you read our September 19th story, it certainly raises questions about whether that was the motive. 
And that's a great segue to the last part of this piece as we continue on Serial with Bill Simmons and Don Venata. Um, it seems like he has a fatal flaw as a commissioner. He takes care of his buddies. And the other inexplicable thing that he did over the course of his commissionership, I mean, Bounty Gate, I think, was incompetence. I think pretending they could get through the season with replacement refs, that was incompetence. I don't want to judge him for what happened with the concussion thing for what he knew because I don't know. Um, But the two things that make no sense whatsoever that he's handled, one was destroying all the Spygate tapes. We've never heard a good reason for that. And at the time, he was a relatively new commissioner. Nobody liked Tagliabu. He'd done a really good job of selling himself through the media with, you know, the big reporters and people like Peter King as this guy who was going to clean up football and he was going to hold players accountable. And the Spygate thing happened and people were so focused on the Patriots part of it that, wait, why are you destroying all the tapes? What's the purpose of that? No, people just kind of glossed over it. And it seems much weirder now in retrospect, Bob Kraft one of his, one of his, you know, allies. I think one of oh, one well, of the five or six most important owners. And now the same thing with the Ravens owner. Is this a buddy buddy thing? Certainly appears that way. Certainly appears that way. Uh, it, it's one of the things that I'm really uh, focused on and, and looking at carefully uh, for evidence of. But uh, one of the things that's really striking, Bill, is that. On three high-profile discipline matters that Cadell has handled, Spygate, Bountygate, and now the Rice thing, videos were central to all three. And let's first take Spygate. As you said, that was just within uh, the first year of Cadell becoming commissioner. Robert Kraft was one of his angels in getting the job. What does Cadell do? That thing is wrapped up within a week, that investigation. And every video, every video, which really goes to the heart of the credibility of the games that are played are ordered destroyed by Goodell. Because if they weren't destroyed and they were actually looked at carefully, you could actually figure out which games, whether they were playoff games or maybe even a Super Bowl, that videos played a role in a Patriots win. And then fast forward to Bounty Gate. Bounty Gate, there was a video, as I discussed earlier, of Anthony Hargrove. That video was misinterpreted by the NFL. They misinterpreted that, which arguably ended a man's career as a player. And now in the Rice investigation, you had a critical video that wasn't obtained, that there was really no aggressiveness in trying to get the video. So, you know, there was a word that was used by by Judge Jones in that decision on Friday, and that's arbitrary. And that's how she felt Goodell handled the Rice situation. I think if you look carefully at those three high-profile situations, just in the way videos were dealt with, it's arbitrary. It's different every time. Destroyed, misinterpreted, not obtained. Well, and the Spygate thing, it just seems like he wanted that to go away. The Bounty Gate, he decided to be a hard ass. And I think it's a very fair question to ask. If that Bounty Gate thing had happened to the New York Giants or the Pittsburgh Steelers and not the New Orleans Saints, does he handle it differently? A very legitimate question. Absolutely. If you look at how he handled, you reported extensively in the, in your September 19th piece, the Ravens owner is a golf buddy of Roger Goodell. They have a good relationship. Um, Kraft, same thing. Kraft, he's talked as like almost like a father figure to him. Yep. Um, I don't think he has that kind of relationship with Tom Benson or Rita Benson. And no. if I was a Saints fan, the people who should be the maddest about all of this are Saints fans because they lost the whole season over this. 
you know, like even Spygate, like I think it was fishy that they, that they destroyed the tapes. I don't understand it. I've never understood the motive behind it, but they changed that rule that season. You could videotape other teams in the seasons before it wasn't quote unquote against the rules. It wasn't against the rules until that season. And they did it in the jets game and they broke the rule that was in place. But it's just weird to me that they would just get rid of the evidence. Um, yeah, but why, it, why, why is that motive? Why is that so perplexing, Bill, the motive in destroying the, the videos? If the videos had not been destroyed and they had somehow leaked out, you would have right. forensically been able to go back and look uh, at which games basically were rigged. We're, we're, not, we're not won fairly. And, you know, that gets to the really, you know, mm. that gets to the heart of the business. I mean, this was a decision that was made, remember, there was a meeting of owners a private meeting behind closed doors that Goodell uh, uh, presided over yeah. uh, when the, all the other owners agreed that those videos had to be destroyed. And that's because it actually threatened their livelihood. It threatened, it threatened the game itself. That's why that happened. So he had, he's belatedly after the judge's ruling, you heard Pash on uh, Outside the Lions, who works for Goodell, was talking about all of a sudden playing the card of, well, two games. It was the precedent at the time. I mean that's why he did two game. That's why he did a two game suspension. Um, why haven't we heard that argument before this week? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I was really surprised when I heard Pash say that Sunday morning. That's not something we've heard previously. Uh, I think he actually used the word fair. He said an interpretation of Judge Jones's decision is that Roger was trying to be fair because he was. Uh, you know, going by precedent on previous domestic violence uh, cases and the maximum that anybody had gotten uh, were two games. I, 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 that, that, that's a, that's a, some, you know, needle you're trying to thread there with that argument. I was really surprised to hear Pash say that. Here's Adolfo Birch on July 28th on ESPN radio. Um, and you reported this in your piece, Mike Greenberg twice asked him um, whether Goodell had screened the inside elevator video. Each time, Birch declined to answer, citing privacy concerns, presumably of the races, your words. Birch also said league officials, including Goodell, were satisfied the two-game punishment was appropriate after considering all the circumstances. Mm. Nothing about precedent there, just that, all nah. the circumstance, just that all the circumstances were considered, but as we now know, no, they weren't, because they didn't have the inside the elevator video. At least that's what they say. Uh, well, here's and, a, oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, Bill. Well, I was just, and then, you know, he got beaten up for a month. And on August 28th, as the domestic, you know, you know what happens on Twitter and social media. And it's kind of like a snowball rolling down the hill. And this verdict, the snowball started rolling down the hill toward Goodell. And he could feel it. And on August 28th, he sent a letter to the 32 owners that uh, pretty stunningly just <laughs> arbitrarily changed the league's personal conduct policy. Uh, just changed it. Didn't didn't really run it by the NFLPA. Uh, you know, just just was like, you know what? Uh, we're, we're just going to change this, and it had a ton of loopholes in it too, which was even crazier. Um, was that one of the? You know, as somebody who's chronicled this guy's career as a commissioner, was that the all-time panic move by him? I think so. <clears throat> I, I do. I, I think it. I think he did panic. 
certainly the criticism, as you said, was deafening through the entire month of August. And the other striking thing is after he announced that, uh, you know, first-time domestic violence offenders were looking at six game, a six-game suspension, so tripled the number of games that he gave to Rice just uh, just a month earlier. He actually told Rice, this came out in Judge Jones' decision, again, a, a, a fact that didn't get a lot of attention over the weekend. Goodell assured Rice, well, don't worry about this new policy. It's not going to apply to you. Yeah. And then what happens? A week later or 10 days later, the TMZ video surfaces. And then all bets are off because, uh, I mean, that may actually be the greatest panic move, even more than the end of August, because in a matter of hours, uh, the NFL indefinitely suspended Ray Rice and the Ravens terminated his contract. Right. Well, this is this is really such an annoying story to me. I'm glad we're breaking it down zero style, but um, is it? Here's a theory. I'm not going to say I believe this, but here, here's just a theory. I think this is the reason why I've been so fascinated by this whole story. Um, I think it has elements of a lot of different political scandals that we've seen over the years, and the elements are this: rich people protecting other rich people. Right? That's in place here. This is the Ravens owner. Obviously, didn't want to lose Ray Rice for the season. Ray Rice named his daughter Raven. He was their best community service guy. You laid out all this stuff in your piece. He tried to convince Goodell that this was a one-time thing, is my theory, and talked him into the fact, like, the guy made a mistake. Don't let this ruin his life. And Goodell um, was satisfied by the amount of remorse he saw from Rice and just kind of caved on it and then regretted it and regretted it and regretted it and regretted it. And then finally did the August 28th panic move. Would you agree with that part of the theory? I think it's, I think it's a, a legitimate theory. Don't forget that we reported in the story just a few days after Goodell announced the two game suspension, he told a confidant, you know what? I might've gotten this wrong because mm. already there was a public outcry. And so he was regretting it almost instantly. Uh, that 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 two games that he gave, and yeah, look, I mean, we laid out uh, the relationship that he has, uh, Fidel has with Bashadi in the piece, uh, quite meticulously. Now, you know, to be fair to Bashadi, uh, you know, he denied that he was that close with Roger. He said that he told the commission, he asked the commissioner about it at a league meeting earlier this year about where things were were, were going with. Uh, uh, with with the Rice disciplinary matter, uh, I believe it was at the spring meeting, it was held in Atlanta, and uh, Bashadi says the commissioner said, "Well, we're going to wait for things to play out in court, and once that happens, then we'll we'll take a look at it." Of course, that's mm. not always what Cadell has done. But in the Roethlisberger uh, matter, uh, you know, most starkly, uh, Goodell didn't wait even for charges to be filed before he did something for Roethlisberger. So again, that there, there, that arbitrary word, Bill, I keep going back to it. And also that phrase, abuse of discretion, that Judge Jones used about Goodell. When, when the legacy of your entire commissionership is you're the, you know, the tough sheriff, you're the conduct commissioner, you're, gonna, you're going to really um, you know, uh, show yourself to be uh, tough on this stuff and clean up the game in that way, in a way that your predecessor did not, because everybody thought Tagliabue was soft on this stuff. Mm. And you have Bounty Gate. And now the Rice situation, and you have an independent arbitrator, a former federal judge, widely respected, 
using words like arbitrary and abusive discretion and how you mete out discipline in a high-profile case, uh, that, that, that's very, very tough for your legacy. That's, that's going to be very, very tough for Roger Goodell to ever overcome, no matter what he does. Go I agree. I mean, he's had like six misfires at this point. Um, I was talking about how this reminded me of political scandals. You have the rich people are protecting other rich people. You have stuff possibly getting covered up. You have key characters improbably disappearing without a trace, like the lady who may or may not be in Miller's office who may or may not have gotten the tape. I mean, that's like out of a movie. Um, you have opposing versions of the exact same effect, uh, uh, event, that June 16th thing. And then you have a leader who seems to be overwhelmed, making a dreadfully tone-deaf decision, grasping for straws, trying to save that decision and his own ass over just owning his mistake and saying, I screwed up. I'm going to get better from this. I made a mistake. I handled this wrong. I want to fix this. I'm going to, I'm going to look back at all the ways we handled this incorrectly and I'm going to get better at this, which is kind of sort of what he tried to do at the press conference, but it was just so clumsy and awful and it made it worse. Right. Yeah. He did sort of try to do that. And and as I said earlier, he, he said that after Bounty Gate as well. He, he has more than once, on a number of occasions, pledged to do better, to get better, to next time's going to be different. And then it isn't. It's not different. It follows the same script. And I think, as I said, I think that's why DeMora Smith and the, and the players are, um, they've lost patience. And right. um, they, they feel that Roger Goodell sets rules, enforces rules, do not apply to them. And, uh, you know, Goodell has always said, as you know, Bill, that he, his, his main job as commissioner is to protect the shield. I think that this Rice uh, scandal and, and bungling and the handling of it uh, shows that Goodell actually is the shield. He's the shield mm. for the owners. He, he's the guy that protects the owners from the criticism. Uh, and the questioning of why things are the way they are. And it's, by that it sounds like you're talking about a patsy, not a shield. Well, but, but by that standard, think, play, play this out for a second. So by that standard, he's doing his job. He's sort of the circuit breaker that all the criticism that would go to the Crafts, Maras, and Jerry Joneses of the world, uh, Goodell's taking all that heat yeah. and, and not them. And when you think about it that way, then you think, okay, well, then maybe the $44 million is well spent. So he's the Lee Harvey Oswald of NFL commissioners. Yeah, I don't, know whether, I, don't, I, I, don't know, I don't know necessarily whether I call him a patsy. It's just it's an expectation. His bosses, those 32 yeah. billionaire owners, expect that he take all the heat. And he's done that. He's been good at, he's been good at doing that. You got to give him that. Well, he's failed the common sense test because even my kids, I have a nine and a half year old daughter. Even she knows that cameras are all over a casino. I'd like to meet the one person in America who doesn't know that every part of a casino is being filmed at all times. So <laughs> if there's something that happened inside an elevator, I'm going to get the tape before I make the decision. I'm going to make sure that I get that tape. And then if I find out that the Ravel Casino is going out of business... Then I'm definitely getting the tape because now at that point, the people who work there don't have anything to lose. What do they care? 
Not, they don't have. They're not, not going to have a job anyway. They're going to sell that tape to whoever gets it. Did you feel like? It, it did feel like in August, people started to like. There was a feeling that this was going to get worse. I, I people sources I have with the players union say they knew in August something. This was headed toward a bad place. Why do you think they felt that way? I heard the same thing. Uh, I think that there was a strong feeling. Uh, right after Goodell announced the two-game suspension at the end of, end of July, uh, there was a sense that this had been mishandled. Uh, I don't know whether somebody had information that there was a second video that was about to drop. The timing, I always felt the timing was so bizarrely coincidental that Goodell announces the change uh, to the personal conduct policy. I think it was on August 28th, and just 10 days or 11 days later, the TMZ, you know, inside the elevator video drops. It's almost as if he knew it was coming. There's no evidence mm. of that, but it, it, it was a, it was a very strange coincidence that he would make that change, and and, and less than two weeks later, uh, that video comes out. Yeah. Well, I think we hit just about everything. Did you feel like you ran that story right after the press conference? just about the most unflattering story you could write about somebody who runs the most important American sports league. Did you feel like, were you worried about what would happen? Um, would that there might be repercussions to the story? Like walk me through your first 12 hours after that story goes up. I had a lot of confidence in that story. I had a lot of confidence in every story I do. So we had more than 20 sources. Oh no, I'm not saying you were you were worried about the story itself. I'm worried, I'm talking about the fallout of the story. Oh, I was I was you know I was curious uh, to see what would occur. Uh, I was not surprised that within a few hours the Ravens put out a statement uh, that they did and said there were half truths and 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 the denial that they put out, and then Kashadi had the press conference the following Monday afternoon. But I I was curious because the narrative. But I've been saying all along to the editors back in Bristol about this thing when I first got the assignment to look into this, and it was on September 8th when I first started reporting that story that Kevin and I did on, on the 19th. I, I, it was clear within the first day of researching this, and I told the editors in Bristol, I said, the facts are really bad here for the Ravens and for the NFL. They're just bad. And the more mm. reporting I did, very early on, we had that story that we broke about the fact that four sources said that Ray Rice said he hit Janae to Roger Goodell just coming two days after his interview with uh, Nora Donnell on CBS. And, and we, we, we found that out in the course of doing that story that was published on September 19th. But I had complete confidence in it then. I have complete confidence in it now. It, it, the narrative is what it is. It's, uh, it's embarrassing. It's sad that a $10 billion corporation uh, that has the resources that it has at its disposal, uh, continues to make these kind of bungling errors in high-profile cases when people's livelihoods and reputations are on the line. It's unfortunate. Are you going to write about the story again? I hope so. I hope so. I think there's more to do. There's certainly you, just some of the questions that you've asked me during the course of this podcast are, are things that I'm curious about, about whether there's unequal treatment, uh, for instance, um, uh, in, in the way Goodell handles discipline 
uh, based on who the owner is, is, is something that I'm, I'm interested in, I'm curious about. Uh, I think there's more to find out about um, uh, the, 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 some of the documents related to the, uh, the Judge Jones uh, hearing and, and investigation. Uh, and, what about uh, the lady? You got to find the lady. She's living in South Dakota now, and it's in a, with a different name. <laughs> we've tried so hard, uh, not just me, but colleagues, colleagues of ours. We have tried very, very hard to get to the bottom of that, and and so far, as I say, we've at least gone down swinging. We've not had the bat on our shoulder. We've done everything possible to get to the bottom of the bill, and we'll we'll continue to try. But yeah, there's but more. If that to do. story, if that story was inaccurate, right? If that story is just wrong, couldn't the NFL sue the AP for that story? I guess so. I, I, yeah, they probably could. I, yeah, I mean, like like we said earlier, the reaction to it was to get Mueller involved, to appoint Mueller. Uh, you know, um, they, they they did put out a statement saying they didn't have that information. They don't believe that there was a video in their office um, that they were going to look into it. And, and actually, they never really followed up whether they found it or not. Um, their response was to get Mueller involved. And, and uh, you know, I... I when I was at the New York Times, I was there 16 years. Oftentimes, you know, you mentioned political scandals. Oftentimes, what happens when an investigator get, investigation gets uh, put into motion, it runs the clock. And often, what happens is the public loses interest because yes. it's like, oh God, we got to hear about this again. And and I I remember during the Clinton impeachment year, um, you know, when Ken Starr was investigating Bill Clinton in 1998. Um, you know, James Carville and all the defenders of Bill Clinton, you know, they kept they kept uh, saying, oh, God, what is he doing? And, you know, we got to keep hearing about this. And they were blaming Starr. And, and, in, and in some ways it worked. It, it, you know, the public gets bored. And I think uh, appointing an investigator like Mueller, uh, it does sort of run the clock out. Now, we had Judge Jones, which brought it front and center again, as you say, on Thanksgiving weekend, on Black Friday, that decision dropping. But, um, you know— <laughs> Everything with the NFL has been wonderful this year, other other than this uh, storyline, Bill. I mean, the ratings are as high as ever, and uh, yeah. uh, the owner the owners by by uh, by everything that we've been able to find out are are, are very very pleased with uh, the performance of Fidel, other than this under, under the other than this handling of this particular situation. So, were you amused that a week before the decision dropped, I predicted in a in a Friday football com that the decision would drop on Black Friday, and I had the over under at nine oh two a.m. Pacific time. I couldn't time, believe it. it. Yeah, I tweeted it out. After that. I tweeted yeah. it out. I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, I must be. I must be a savant, huh? I must be really well, smart. I was, I was. I was figuring it was probably going to come on either Thanksgiving Eve. I didn't. I. I wasn't as smart as you to think it was going to come on Black Friday. In fact, when it did not come out last Wednesday. I thought, okay, I can enjoy the long weekend with my family, and it'll be today. That was my assumption. But uh, but no, you you had it nailed. Well, you they were weren't going to do it on Wednesday. They weren't going to have it be a news item for the th- for the three Thanksgiving games. My question is, how do they control when the thing comes out? I mean, shouldn't the judge control that? I I always wondered, like, no, I don't think the NFL did have control over it. I think that I the, look. The decision was dated on Friday by the judge. I think the mm. judge. Sent it out early in the afternoon on Friday, and we caught wind of it. I think about two thirty or three o'clock. Uh, 
Eastern time. Um, and, and no, I just think that the, when the judge was done, I mean, this, this former federal judge, Barbara Jones, she has an impeccable reputation. I think it's when she, when she got done with it, that's when it came out. And, uh, but the timing couldn't have been better for the NFL. That's for sure. Amazing. Well, that, that concludes this episode of Serial with Roger Goodell, but we might, we might have to run this back as sequel when, uh, when more information comes out, when you find that, that woman in the office is now living in Anchorage, Alaska. And it, that's and your, his, that's your, that you, now you're an assignment editor, Bill. That's what you, that's what you've assigned me to do. That's what I gotta go do is find this woman now. Listen, you're a Pulitzer <laughs> Prize winner and you can't find this woman. I don't know, Van Natta. I think, I think you need to add this to your trophy case. You found the woman. Who is she? Where is she? Is she out there? Is she listening right now? I want to know. Can you, is there any way to find, I guess it would be impossible to find the logging system for the NFL, right? They would not release that publicly. It'd be. No, I don't for, think that, uh, I don't think the league is going to share that with me, but you know, you don't that's think so? that, I don't think so, but you know, what's going to be really interesting is whether Robert Mueller goes anywhere near that question. That's what I want to know. Mm, yeah. Well, I, I challenge Robert Mueller to do his thing. Um, hey, we should mention Boston University. We're both products of the uh, journalism program. I went to grad school there. Did you go undergrad or grad? Undergrad. I undergrad. graduated in 86. Yeah, I was editor of the Daily Free Press. Great yeah. newspaper there. And, you, uh, and you've worked your way up the ladder. Pulitzer winner. You, you were way ahead of this NFL story. It was great. It was one of my favorite things that we've run. Um, I've enjoyed talking to you about it. I enjoy the thought of possibly doing a sequel podcast if we get more info. Don Vanetta, what are you working on, by the way? I'm still working on this. Bill. There's more to do. Oh, this, on this is your current thing. You don't have like one of those six month projects like you're secretly working on that you can't tell us. No, about? no, we have we have a couple really fun, interesting ideas percolating. Um, but until uh, I, you know, check out every last lead here uh, on this on this story, that's what I'll be doing. But I'm looking forward to moving on to something something new soon. So you're putting the flag outside your balcony apartment? <laughs> no. <laughs> you'll be changing cabs at five in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No garage meetings, late night garage meetings on this story. Not yet, anyway. Paul Tagliabue would be a great deep throat. I could totally see him tall, take angular, have a cigarette going, and be good. All right, thanks for everything. Appreciate the time. Uh, this was awesome. And for the record, I'm I'm done talking about this. I, I feel like we covered every single part of this, and and I've said my piece on the story. And the reality is, it was really badly mishandled. Everybody can have their own opinions on it. I think it's pretty clear what mine are. Um, and thank you for listening. Thanks for the time, Don. We will talk to you later in the week on the BS Report. Thanks, Bill. Thank you for downloading the BS Report with Bill Simmons. Too much fun. Check out more podcasts at the iTunes Music Store or at Pod Center at ESPNRadio.com. Peace out.